You're listening to The Perth Property Show, Australia's only weekly property podcast by West Australian experts for West Australian listeners. Catch your latest episode every Monday at 7am. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to another week of the Perth Property Show, where Perth's number one experts in their field contribute to the conversation. Again, if you have any questions or comments, always leave those on the Facebook page or on our website. Today, we're back talking about insurances, uh, but we've got Kieran McAleen in from Provident Financial Services to talk about these because we're not talking about our house insurance here. We're talking about personal income, death, Kieran, TPA. You can tell us about mm-hmm. what they are. I'm not a, not a professional on this stuff. And I think it's important that we get this on the table because, again, risk mitigation is a massive part of property ownership. And the biggest risk that I want to mitigate is not being able to pay your mortgage at the end of the day. Now, that's really the only thing that would stop you from continually owning your house that's defaulting on your mortgage. So I want to talk to Kieran about how that relates and also a few of the other reasons you may want to get insurance. Before we start, Kieran is a financial planner under Paul Carter, PTY LTD, trading as Provident Financial Services, is an authorized rep of AMP Financial Planning. And I have to remind everyone that this segment is general advice only and is not intended as personal advice or any recommendation. Kieran, what sort of insurance can I get? As a mortgage broker and having mortgage broking services in Strategic, we obviously always have to check off that our clients have properly considered their life insurance and all these different types of insurances. What sort of insurances does a financial planner deal with and how do you think that relates to property? Firstly, thanks for having me, Trent. It's always a pleasure being on the show. Thanks for coming. (laughs) Part of the reason why a mortgage broker has to go through that process and why it's important is If someone has purchased a large asset, such as a home or an investment property, then not only have they usually purchased an asset, but they've also taken on a significant amount of debt in most cases. What does that mean? Well, if someone's taken on a large amount of debt, then obviously they've got some kind of plan because they're they're trying to build some wealth for their future. And if they've got this plan set out, that's fantastic. But then what happens if inside their plan, there's a change in their personal circumstances or situation that affects their ability to pay potentially their mortgage or even what happens to someone's family if, if this was the plan and then all of a sudden, tragically, unforeseen, something's happened to them where they're been totally or permanently disabled, they've died or whether they're out of work or out of action because of an injury or an illness, which is an insurance would cover that such as income protection people have heard of or or trauma insurance. Yeah. Run me through them properly. So, we got income protection. Yep. That covers losing your job for a range of reasons. That's right. So, if you're unable to perform your work because of sickness or injury or within the within the description and the policy definitions of that income protection, then that's when it will pay out. Now, I think a very important point to make is a lot of people have automatic or standard income protection in their superannuation funds. What happens is if someone is injured or they're not able to perform their, their duty at work and they're not able to get that income, then some people have this expectation that that's going to be okay, that's going to be sorted, they're going to be receiving the same amount. It's important to note that any income protection can only be 75% of your income, firstly. Okay. Secondly, is that if you do have some income protection in your superannuation, it is important to have a look at to what the waiting period is and the benefit period. 
as well as being the sum insured that you would be receiving. So, how long you have to wait until you start getting paid? Correct. And how long they'll pay you for? Correct. Because there are many insurances or standard insurances out there with a benefit period of only two years. So, if you have a significant injury or illness, that means you cannot return back to work, period, Uh 10, 20, 30 years then potentially a standard income protection might only cover you for the first two. Are there policies that cover you for decades? Correct, there is. Well, there you go. So, are they? They're, surely they're quite expensive. Yeah, so it happens in two different ways in terms of payment. So people can pay a level premium, which means in theory that you pay a higher premium to begin with, depending on your age and your risk, and that it just stays the same or similar throughout your working career until the time that you're not needing insurance or until the policy ends. So, for example, if someone is in their 30s or 40s and they have a lot of debt, they're potentially the breadwinner in the family, earning the most money. Therefore, their income is probably the most important for the family's survival and well-being. Then that person might be planning to work until they're 65. If there is an incident that causes an insurable event where that person is in their 30s and they've only got cover for two years and yet what happens to the rest of the income? But there are insurers out there that will cover people for a five-year benefit period up to age 60, up to age 65 and onwards. So it's a matter of working out the person's circumstance and situation that's, I guess, selective to them and then working out what is the best policy definitions, insurance for that individual. One, is it mainly tradies that need this stuff? Are they the ones that are most at risk of being out of work for a long time? Uh, and two, what does this normally cost, this this more comprehensive income protection? Again, I can see that especially for people who need their bodies to work, mm. this is of, of real risk, especially those who have a mortgage or a couple of mortgages because at the end of the day, most people who, who even for rent, for example, even if you don't own a home, if you're paying rent, Uh, That is the biggest expense that most people have that they're covering with a good half of their salary every month. The insurers work with different classifications for people's jobs or occupations. So, it would be too hard to give you some figures because it, it, it depends on the age of the person and why age comes into it is different risks associated Mm -hmm. with even males and females, what age at the point in their career or or their life where they're more susceptible to heart problems. And I guess just as people get older, there are generally more risks closer to work. I guess that as well, if I broke my leg, I probably wouldn't have to stop working. Yes. But if my bricky mate broke his leg, he would have to. Would that make his policy probably more expensive because they'd be more at risk of having a claim? Yes, that's it. that's exactly right. It's a good example. So, I mean, of course, depending on the policy definition of that person, but mm. if a tradesman had an underwritten income protection policy that was specialized to their area of work, then if they were unable to do their work because of an injury like that, or as an example, then that would pay out their salary. Now, as I said, with the different types of occupations, as an insurer, as you can understand, there's different risks associated with different individuals. But also, there's the ability for, I guess, trained or specialized individuals to have agreed value uh, versus indemnity. So, for example, if someone is working contract work and they have an indemnity policy for income protection, what that means is that depending on the time of work or the time at which they have the insurable event, they will be underwritten 
and their income and their sum insured at that time. Straight away. Put, putting a real a real world example of if someone's on an income of a hundred thousand dollars on a particular contract they're working on, but then they change contract and then for three or four months they're only on forty or fifty thousand dollars and they have an insurable event. If they have an indemnity policy, they're only gonna get paid potentially seventy five percent of that forty or fifty thousand dollars. And an agreed value policy is basically underwritten at the time, at the income of that time, so that if your income was to go down you three still years get later, paid out on the top money. That's right. Okay. Interesting. I guess all these things are really just a commercial arrangement you're making with a business who is insuring you based on specific outcomes. Uh, I guess the quicker the waiting period, the more expensive your policy is. The longer the payout period, the more expensive your policy is. So that's right. Just like a house or car insurance really, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly right. Yeah. So I'll talk a little bit about the different insurances as well, because I think some people either don't know or are a little bit confused by it because it is quite confusing. I mean, even what we've just touched on, the the detail that you can go into with the different types of insurances. So, your life cover is is that. It's it's life cover. So, so if you die. If you if you die. So, we just spoke about income protection. Yes. Right? And there's a whole bunch of people that provide that. You've got superannuation companies. You've got like, banks selling it to you. You've got financial planners who have got it, right? Yes. And then you've got right. life insurance. Yep. yep. So, life insurance covers that f- for your life. Yep. And the reason or I guess the purpose of life insurance is if something happens to an individual, what does it look like for family or yep. the dependents following that? Does the individual want the debt that the family has or that they have to be paid off? Do they want, if they have children, school fees to be paid so that the spouse doesn't have to go back to work for a certain amount of time. What does life look like if there is an unfortunate, unforeseen circumstance for that person for the remaining of the dependents? I remember in another life when I was working in strategy, Karen, I had a superannuation fund that covered me for a million dollars if I died. And at the time, my beneficiary was my sister, right? Yes. This was many years ago. She was hoping uh, very <laughs> spitefully that uh, I might fall off a bridge one day against a million dollars. But if I've got it in my superannuation policy through work that I'm going to get that, do I need to have any other policy? It is important to see that if if it is a default or standard policy that's in your superannuation, for example, to really have a good look through the PDS disclosures to ensure that it is what you understand it is because sometimes standard insurance is underwritten at the time of the insurable event. So what it means is a lot more paperwork and a lot more evidence may have to be presented or provided to the insurer or the superannuation fund on behalf of the insurer so that that can be proved and then paid out. With life, it's probably a little bit less complicated than things like total and permanent disability or TPD as it's called, income protection and and trauma. Do you find that a lot of people that come to you I guess, way overinsured. I know it makes sense for, and it's probably self-serving for financial planners to obviously want to provide as much insurance as possible, but I'm sure you find a lot of people that come to you that have got the financial planners product and the bank product and the super, and the superannuation yeah. product, and you're sitting here going, Jesus Christ, you're going to be a multimillionaire if you die. <laughs> That's right. So, I, look, I think it's a mix. I think mostly when we see people for the first time, in most cases, they're underinsured because okay. they probably haven't taken into consideration all the consequences if they died or if they were totally and permanently disabled. You know, what, what does life look like? How does the house have to be fitted out? Are they expecting their partner to finish 
their work or their career to look after them or are they expecting to move or back into the parents again. Yeah. yeah so i think there's probably a lot of considerations that people don't make which is understandable until the questions are asked but on the flip side of that yes we also see people that come in that are overinsured and it's a matter of trying to get the client and performing what we call an, an insurance needs analysis to make sure that they're not overinsured that the insurance they have covers them and their financial plan to be in their best interest and then have a look at the different insurers available to one make sure that the policy definition is best for them and also that the premiums are most cost effective now we would find that as a person gets older especially if they have a stepped premium which is the, the, the amount they're paying for their insurance that it becomes more expensive with age and that's okay. because of the risk factors. As someone's getting older, there's more risk that something could happen to them. Therefore, the insurer is covering themselves. We find that as clients get older and closer towards retirement, if they're also building up their retirement wealth, then in a way, they're also building up themselves to self-insure to the point where either they finish work and they're no longer eligible for insurance or they're close to retirement and they don't actually need the insurance because they have the assets built up to cover themselves. Yep. In a circumstance like that, we would be looking at the client basically on a year-on-year -year basis trying to reduce what we can for their insurance to make it cheaper for them. That makes sense. When I used to go and get my own house insurance before I had an insurance broker, I realized that there was a big variance in costs. And again, as you said before, it's so hard to explain what these things might cost for different people. It's all very specific. Yes. I can only imagine the wishy-washy variants of premium costs that all these different providers might be trying to charge people. I, for me, that's just mind-boggling. How are we supposed to get through that? At the end of the day, it's going to be a judgment call based on the services that a financial planner would advise. Say, look, these are your three, four best products that we can find for you based on your um, priorities. How much is your insurance worth to you on a monthly basis? Is that pretty much that judgment call people have to make? Because at the end of the day, as I've said before, I'm not one for spending too much money on monthly premiums and insurance. It's what everyone needs to have but doesn't want to exactly. have. Exactly. It's, it's, it's devil you know, right? <laughs> yeah. Is it really a judgment call at the end of the day? Once you've come to us and said, look, these are your three best, best options. One, are you seeing a massive difference, massive variance between providers? And to what is that happy medium? Very good question. So there is there is definitely a variance between providers and there's a number of different reasons for that. I mean, some policy definitions are very different to other insurers in terms of what you're covered for. I'll give you a, a, an example. I was going on holiday and I checked with the general insurer as to the travel insurance they had. And they asked me, oh, look, are you doing this or doing that? And I said, look, I'm going away I'm, I'm probably going to be on a motorbike while I'm away and they said oh well make sure you double check because I'm of the understanding that with your particular policy that if the motorbike is over 50 cc's mm. or, or um, scooter then you're not covered so that's why it's important because I make that point that there is no motorcycle or scooter that I know available that is less than 50 cc's yeah yeah so yeah. while you think that you're covered for motorcycle riding or for a scooter, if there was an incident to happen, you're not covered you're at all. You're actually not, yeah. So it, and that it's applies a, to all these different types of insurance. It's the same sort of idea. Yes, that's right. And I mean, that's that's the same reason why you'd pay any general insurance broker or a financial advisor to look into those details for you because, yes, the premiums might differ from one policy to another, but it's, it's what's inside those policies that you need a professional, at least if you're outsourcing that, to look through and make the right call for for you. And 
financial advisor will look as to the products that are available in terms of insurance and they'll, they will make the selection and make the recommendation for the product and the amount that's in your best interest so that you don't have to make that selection of three, for example. Surely, Kieran, you have some sort of statistics, whether it's within your business or in the industry of on average what people who are paying for insurance are paying a month. Yeah, so I, I think people can be paying from $50 a month up to thousands of dollars a month for their insurance. Mm. It's important also to check and keep an eye on insurances too to make sure that what you're paying is still competitive for what you're receiving. Because naturally, like we see with our home insurance or our car insurance... Home loans as well. Yeah, it, it goes up. And sometimes unless you're, you're keeping an eye on what the premiums are you're paying or, or what's available out there on the market, then it could be a case of, right, well, the, the best result for me in my circumstance with a similar cover, knowing that I have to go through an underwriting process and there's been no real change in my health or situation at that time would be, right, move across to this insurer instead. All right. Now, I think we asked this question many months ago uh, when we were talking about just what a financial planner does. And I think we've obviously delved a lot deeper today into the products. Uh, but Again, if someone was thinking after this episode of, you know, oh, geez, maybe I should check my insurance policies. Yep. How financial planners paid in this realm when it comes to insurances? Are people up for a hit or is it like a mortgage broker where the, you know, the insurer pays you guys instead? People are always awkward to ask that question. So, yeah. can we get the answer straight up? Yeah, sure. So, most financial advisors will be paid a commission from the insurer directly. Okay. So, it's not coming out of the pocket of the client. In many cases, d- depending on if there's any other subjects or sections to the advice, like if it's superannuation or investing, then the financial planner will be paid by the insurer and it's not, it's not passed on to the client. Okay, fantastic. All right. So, I think at least what I've got out of this today myself is that it's if you do put a value on your on the risk of the perpetuity of your income yes it's time to have a chat about those products and it really shouldn't cost you anything uh, up front or directly as a consumer to start asking those questions and even source source some of those products uh, uh, from a financial planner specifically yeah that's right and I think that most financial planners out there will want to be and more than comfortable just having the conversation with someone in the first place to give them an idea of what direction they need to be going in and then letting the client make that decision whether they need the service or or are they going to do it themselves. Kieran, have you in soon. Thanks, mate. Thanks so much, Trent. Always a pleasure. Okay, suburb spotlight time and we are talking about a really small suburb today, a really new one as well. It's Coburn Central. Most people wouldn't even know that is a suburb. It's a nice little subset that denotes that Coburn Central Shopping Centre and the surrounds uh, involved. Now, we've got our number one agent in. It is Damon Strang from Able Property Group. Damon, thanks for coming in today. Great to be here, Trent, and hopefully can shed some light on this emerging suburb. Yeah, shed some light for me, shed some history, some fun facts. How this place has come about, how's it been annexed? What's the bit of history as to uh, why are people living here? Look, if we go back in, in time, so to speak, Coburn traditionally was market farmers. As population grew in Western Australia, they, and after the war in particular, they started moving further south. You then saw, probably in the late 1970s, is when you saw some rapid change in the area as the market farmers moving moving south due to its like proximity and location to Perth. You then started seeing the workers 
and population growth in the area. It's an obvious destination for people to start settling. It probably wasn't though until the freeway started creeping south and the rural land became then became zoned as residential or turned into residential land that you saw some emerging suburbs. You had South Lake come in in the 80s, you then had Hammond Park and Auburn Grove and then Coburn Central officially in 2006 became a suburb. This is a service centre for all those suburbs you just mentioned, isn't it? Uh, very much so. And you, you mentioned in terms of the amenity in the area, it is it is centred around Coburn Central Train Station and obviously Coburn Gateway Shopping Centre. So it really has become a hub of the, the near south, so to speak. It's pretty unique. It, it's, there's no other place in Perth that I can see where you've got what is attempting to be an inner city lifestyle so far from the city. I'm obviously going to be slightly biased, Trent, because I, I do sell in the area. But I look at Coburn Central, if you compare it to the rest of Australia and the rest of Australia's capital cities, its location and amenity is right up there. And if you were in Sydney or Melbourne in this location, you'd be talking big, big bucks to, to enter the suburb. It'd still be in a city, I guess. Yeah, well, yeah. yeah, it still would be in a city. And look, I think there'll come a time in 20, 30 years when we look back and there'll be people saying, Coburn Central, how wonderful a place it is. And yeah. you can't believe... It was so affordable in 2019. It was another one of those hubs. I guess what people would have called Victoria Park or Leadable 40 years ago, uh, I think um, you're leading towards that, that Coburn Central should be another one of those. They're setting it up that way. Spot on, spot on, Trent. And the thing people don't realise, a lot of people in Perth go, okay, well, you're, you're 24 kilometres from the city. 24 kilometres is not a lot, particularly when you're talking a train station on your doorstep, with it, which is five stops and 18 minutes into town. I personally would consider that 18 minutes to get to the city. Is not, not too bad. It's not too bad. Tell you what, though, I cannot wait for the government, whichever government it is, to pull their head in and sort that freeway out. Once that's done, that accessibility factor will become much more attractive to people. Look, and that's probably the only bugbear of, of both people who live in the area and potential buyers. And I think even people have to travel up the freeway every Generally, day. Yeah. Once that gets sorted out, yes, it's going to take a huge lot of pressure off the traffic in the area. I just don't think they prepared for the amount of people and cars that are going to be using that freeway. Uh, Bold Ivis... Anything north of Bold, I mean, Bold Ivis is a huge suburb in terms of population, and a lot of them are still working in the city. Totally agree. And I think, look, the governments were caught on the hop. I think in terms of the property boom that was some time ago now, the amount of new housing that went into the areas you're talking about, particularly Baldivis. I don't think they were quick enough to foresee the boom in terms of the population that would move in into the south. And they were caught on the hop, and, and you're totally right. They need to fix the freeway sooner rather than later mm. because you now have got an issue where if you're living in Valdivis or south that way, you're spending as much time on the road as you, you potentially are in, in work. <laughs> yeah, very true. <laughs> so uh, let's start talking about what is available in Coen Central. Obviously, we're, there are many surrounding suburbs, but I particularly want to talk about that walk score lifestyle of that very immediate area that is that small Coburn Central Precinct so I can't see many 4 by 2 homes in that suburb no there, there isn't at the moment uh, that's the point right yeah so look originally the way it's been set up and, and I probably agree with the way it's been set up it is, it is going to be uh, a denser suburb than most mm. if you if you want the 800 square meters with a backyard except head to Yanjabup or yeah. whatever yep <laughs> head, head elsewhere I think you are bringing a more inner city lifestyle 
to the area. So what you've seen thus far is is maybe is apartments. You could argue maybe too many at one time. But you've got to put them up at some point, don't you? Got to put them up at some point. They do provide the right sort of accommodation for a number of people. What you're starting to see now and where I'm actively involved is you have got some developers who I think, in my opinion, are seeing the future, are starting to develop two-storey terrace-style housing. You're still walking distance to train stations, shopping centres, still at location. It's just the inner city living as opposed to the the massive backyard, you know, the main... It's, it's low-maintenance living with still the living area and the living space a modern family needs in whatever shape or form that comes in. Explain to me the geography of this suburb. You've got, obviously, what most people would have recognised before as big apartment complexes just south of Coburn Gateway, on essentially overseeing, overlooking the freeway. Yes. And then you've got a, quite a bit of parcel of land north of that. That's correct. Is that essentially it? Yeah, so you're pretty much coming off at Berrigan Drive is probably the northernmost part of the suburb. Mm. And like you said, down to Coburn Gateway. So the apartments are in place and they're immediately around the shopping centre. Between probably where the new Coburn Arc is and the Fremantle training grounds, between there and Berrigan Drive, what you will see over time is that turn into housing. What sort of housing? So we're talking townhouses. Is it a lot of that project built form housing coming in to the market, cottage lots? Things like that? Yeah, so predominantly what you're seeing in, in a current development we're looking at there, which is 200 lots, is it is two-storey terrace-style housing. Mm. The beauty of this is people still have green title. They still own their own piece of land. They can still have a three- or four-bedroom house. They can actually just live their lives outside of mowing the lawns, doing the gardening every weekend. It's been I a think long time since we've seen terrace-style housing in Perth, hasn't it? It has been a while. It's become a bit of the flavour of the month and you're starting to see it in even some outer suburbs. For me, this location... Much more relevant, much more... Absolutely. I would agree. I think they did some pilots, some test cases out in Ellenbrook, Golden Bay, Bold Ibis, just you know, cheap land, let's see if it goes. Yes. It obviously went really well, as I understand it. And they've now gone, okay, let's go and put this in a bit more mass somewhere where it's much more useful and applicable um, Coburn Central being a good example of that. You're spot on trend and it makes absolute sense to have it in this location. If you wanted to, I think we, we'll get there one day as slowly people turn to different forms of transport, etc. outside of the, the old petroleum car, you're going to see people living in this location who probably don't even own a car. They either cycle, walk everywhere, they have a low maintenance lifestyle, they're actually living their life outside of their mortgage. And it, it does come down to that specific brand new piece of land as well, uh, the way that it's set up with cottage but, you know, rear access. It'd be fantastic if we could build these style of townhouses in those brownfield suburb areas. Uh, but unfortunately, the way that streets have been set up in Perth, you don't have a lot of opportunity for that. So to have that blank canvas in Coburn Central to be able to create this style of uh, living especially, I think uh, that gives a lot of opportunity for much more efficient building, uh, less wasted space on the sides of houses, and really just getting people into more dense living, but also, as you said, with three, four bedrooms, two bathrooms, a bit of a backyard double garage it's what everyone wants when you tick the boxes and i think there's big discussion going on at the moment about the the australian dream and whether that's still alive or not with the as we said the 750 800 square meters i think everyone's got to be conscious within the industry that there's a space for for all types of product mm. whether it be the australian dream whether it be the new australian dream as we call it i think a lot of people 
are now seen if you're in an area that has the amenity, that has the parks, that has the open space, you're in a position to forego having your own 750, 800 square metre block, have that low maintenance living, still have the living space because that's important for a lot of families. Communal lifestyle as well. Communal lifestyle. As I said, it's, it's about the amenity. And if people got that amenity and the community goes with it, I think they're prepared to to forego some of the old Australian dream where you have to have no a lawnmower. massive backyard. No lawnmower would be fantastic because I'm not sure about you, but I, I do spend some time uh, mowing the lawns when I'd probably prefer to be spending time with the kids. Yeah. All right, let's talk about price points. Obviously, yeah. there's not many price points here. We only got a couple of products right now, but let's run through them. What's a piece of land buying uh, costing me right now in Coburn Central? In, ter- in terms of land, you'll be talking anywhere from 180 to 210. How many square metres are you getting? You're looking for that 170 to 230 square metres. And that's the sort of lot that we're fitting these townhouses on. Yeah, that's correct. I think the point to make is because people straight away assume I'm going to have no yard. If you look at some of the designs some of the great builders in WA are putting together, even on some of these lots that are are 6 metres wide by 32 metres deep, you're getting up to 50 square metres of courtyard an alfresco area. Yeah. Now that is more than what some people would get building a single story house. Or a house. triplex or whatnot. You have to see it to believe it. I think Agreed. it's something that people haven't experienced that often and you have to go out to some of these estates and, and really see this wall-to-wall style terrace living where they're making use of that space at the front of the lot and the back has really does have some space for the kids to play. Exactly, exactly right. So that's it. on the land side, that's the product you're looking at in the two-story terrace. In terms of apartments, because I, I still think apartments hold a, hold a place. Well, they um, certainly hold a place in Coburn Central. Definitely so. hold a place. And I think for the right customers, they add value. I think everyone's got to find out what works for them and go with it. So apartments in, in Coburn, if you're looking at a two-better, at the moment, you're probably looking late 200s, early threes. If you're looking to three-better, you're more around the 350,000 mark. Well, look, it's mm-hmm. still... I guess in that affordable first home buyer, no stamp duty range, three exactly. bedroom apartment. I mean, so that's a that's a home. Yeah, exactly right, exactly right. And once again, comes down to the individual. Do you want that apartment style living? Because the advantages are, yes, you get, you know, you might get the gym, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. On the downside, you look at some of the the strata fees, etc. Um, other people may opt to go the green title option. You know what's ironic. Preference in housing type is such a location and culture-based thing. Mm. If we were talking about a three-bedroom apartment in New York or somewhere through Central Europe, people would be jumping at that, wondering how many millions do I have to pay for this? And then 18 kilometers outside the city, again, same sort of question. To be able to buy that for 300, a three-bedroom apartment, which is a three-bedroom residence, 18 k's from the city, uh, It is, I think it is quite an interesting point to make is that so many other cultures, obviously not Perth's too strongly yet, but at some point ours will mature in the same way that the rest of the world is, just given in the age of our population, age of our, our city. The preference will eventually culturally move towards apartment living at a necessity more than anything, uh, and people will pay for uh, that product of a three-by-two apartment. They will, and I think they'll also look at the two-storey terrace housing as well. And... You know, I'm fortunate enough to have spent a bit of time overseas. You're exactly right in what you're saying. Is the rest of the world this apartments, terrace style housing? It's That's the good. standard. <laughs> it's standard, and the places I've travelled to, people still appear happy with their their life. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly right. I think we're just so spoiled in Perth because of the vast land that we have. Mm. That when another city doesn't have that op- opportunity, they never think that they're missing out. Yeah, it's not one or the other. You can have a city 
and Sydney and Melbourne are this. You can have a city that has both and accommodate all styles of living. Mm. So I think sometimes, whether it be the consumer, whether it be governments, councils, etc., there needs to be options of all style of living in the right places. And I think people have got to open their minds to the different ways people want to live and accept them for what they are. Well, clearly that's what the forward-thinking locale of Coburn Central is trying to do, is provide that option, uh, cart before the horse this time, and, and people have come towards it. Yeah, they, they have. I must admit, in terms of in terms of the development where we're looking after at the moment, we're very happy with in terms of the sales. And whilst it may surprise some people, the consumers that are bought, we've had downsizes, we've had first home buys, we've had families, because when you get a two-storey terrace home in the early 400s, a three or four bedroom, you know, with parks, with that amenity, as I said to you, put this product in Sydney, in Melbourne, unless you got a million dollars, forget it. You just preempted my last question there. It was yeah. the prices on that, the townhouses. So we're talking early 400s here for that product. Yeah, is your Again, that's sitting inside that first homeowner range. Exactly right. And that's why we've seen the breadth of the buyers we've had. We've got customers who will spend more than that, but if the entry level is said early 400s. What you're finding is when people have seen the product, understand the concept, and you made a very valid point earlier, Trent, where you said that people have to go see it. They have to because I think you can have a, a vision in your own mind of what it looks like, etc. You have to go set foot in it. And when they find out how spacious it can be and at the prices we're talking about in this location, I mean, you're only 15 minutes from, from Coogee. Now, I'm assuming that you're going to say not much as an answer to this, but subdivision, property development options in this suburb, is it really more of an institutional investor that's coming in here in the last couple of big land plots and finishing off the apartment buildings? I think that's what you'll see. There, there are some parcels currently on the market, but we are talking more the, the institutional Millions investors. of dollars. Yep. Mill, millions of dollars. I think what you'll see slowly is the current landowners who still live there on those, it's probably more rural land, so to speak, they will slowly move out and it'll be institutional investors who'll come and keep developing the suburb. Yeah, as, as the need is there. Exactly right. Yeah, that's a progressive thing I think we're going to see over the next cycle. Yeah. Uh, all right, last question. Mm. Median house price. Now, this is I, I'm going I'm to let you split this up because we've got two products here right now, I think. Uh, we've got the apartments, we've got the land at the moment. I don't think we need to talk too much about the townhouses because they're still in their infancy. If I was going to go buy right now in Coburn Central, tell me uh, where you're thinking the preference would be, where you would buy a piece of land yeah. for that median price and where you would say the optimum apartment uh, option would be as well. Look, I think I think with the apartment options, you've, you've got a good four or five to choose from without being specific on any individual one. I think they all offer something. Surely you have a favourite, Damon. I, I don't like playing favourites when it comes to <laughs> when it comes to it because look I think some of the developers who've done work there in the apartment space have done a good job. I think it's really going to come down to the individual and what suits them, and what each apartment complex is offering. They're all at a similar price point, so it really comes down to the preference from the from the consumer. Doesn't it then come down to the apartment with the best proximity to services? I in my in my personal opinion, yes. But then you've you've got some people who whether they're 300 metres from those that amenity or a kilometre, it doesn't bother them. I probably would be the one who'd go, 
get me closer, get me 300. Okay, so we one, have an answer there, Damon. So we're looking at an apartment <laughs> in that closest apartment building to the gateway and the, and that would be for me, I'm just riffing yeah. here, that will be for me the highest uh, walk score, highest amenity uh, option that's going to have the best growth value. If you push me, yes. Thank I, you. I, <laughs> I, I, I would concur and I'd say if it was me buying, if it was an apartment I was to buy, I'd be as close to everything as I possibly could. Do we want to be facing the freeway, facing the ocean, having a northerly orientation? How does it work with apartments around that space? Look, I think in that location, I'd, I'd be facing the coast. Okay. Do you yeah. have views? Some of them do have views towards the coast. So that's yeah. the higher up you can get in the apartment block, in my opinion, is, is the way to go. And given the views you've got, either east or west i personally be going west yeah but then again if you're looking if you're looking over the freeway further to the hills it's a nice that, view too it's a nice view too yeah, yeah okay now with the land is there a dress circle in terms of the land i will be biased here it, it is at the development we currently look after which is mojo what's good about this one is literally you're okay from the station from coburn central the developer is very much about creating a legacy so in terms of the parks and how they've gone about creating the development, I think is exceptional. The other beauty of it is, which I think really helps, whether it be a mum and dad buyer or investor, is out of the 200 lots in this location, they all have to be two story. Okay. So there's no so chance. standard. Yeah, so there's no chance if you make an investment of 450,000, 500,000 in a two story home, someone's not gonna come along next to you and, and build a single story. Yeah. So yeah. I think, that gives you security over time that you're going to be in an area where you've got similar sort of buildings. Yeah. yeah, you've got standards. And you know, he's partnered with a number of major builders who, as I said, if you look at this product, touch it, feel it, it's exceptional value. Okay, all right. Well, I think we've got some good answers there, Damon. Uh, I had to squeeze them out here. Uh, <laughs> but I, that's what people want to want to know. They want to know, look, if they're going to put their money in Coburn Central, where is it going to be? And where is the authority on Coburn Central being you uh, believing that that would be? Uh, closest apartment building to the shopping center. We're on the same page. And Mojo Urban Mojo, Living, uh, if you're looking to build. In this space. Yeah. All right. So that's good. Thank you for that information today, Damon. I appreciate it. Uh, it be good to have you in again uh, sometime in the next year to see how far along this is coming. No, I appreciate it, Trenton. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Perth Property Show. If you've only just joined the conversation, you can catch up by heading over to our website, perthpropertyshow.com.au, subscribing to the podcast, or joining our Facebook page. Don't forget to tune in next Monday at 7am for more expert insights, local analysis and suburb spotlights. Happy hunting!